I really enjoyed today's episode with Jeb Johnston. He is someone who's always kind of stood out to me, whether it be his story, which I initially heard through my friends at the Fitness Devil podcast, um, just how much life experience he's had up to this point and how much life experience he continues to have through his traveling, through his career, through his ambitions towards bettering himself and bettering his clients. Um, You would never guess by looking at him that he had been a hairstylist for supermodels. And you might not know that he has a passion for music. And he's, he's had dark times in his life and he's had very rewarding, very joy-filled times in his life. And it's all played into the person that he is and he wouldn't have it any other way. So we had a really rewarding conversation. And despite the fact that uh, my friend Andrew Coates said that Jeb is uh, primarily a great podcast guest for his sexy podcast voice, there's so much more that he brings to the table. And so you will have to tune in to find out what makes Jeb a good guy. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Lifestyle Chase Season 2. This podcast features high performers who have found a way to live their best life while balancing their health, wellness, friends, and family. I'm your host, Chris Little. Let's get started. The Lifestyle Chase is brought to you by Yeg Fitness. Yeg Fitness is Edmonton, Alberta, Canada's healthy lifestyle community, creating and supporting active living for all. Check them out online at yegfitness.ca and on social media at yegfitness. So welcome to episode 98 of the Lifestyle Chase. I am joined by the one and only Jeb Stewart Johnston. Um, did, did I get your name the way you like to be referred to or what's what's your most common way to be uh, introduced? Uh, yeah, that's it. I just... Uh... I've always used my full name when I sign things. So it kind of just was when social media became a thing, it just kind of was a natural progression, but people just call me Jeb. Nobody oh, yeah. uses my middle name in real life. Yeah. Well, I just, it has such a cool flow to it. So yeah, growing up, I hated it. So like, it's, it's cool to embrace it now. Yeah. Well, I honestly, I can totally relate to that. Cause it's just like my Instagram handle, Christian little, um, anytime anybody calls me Christian, I'm like, what the heck? Like, is my mom nearby? <laughs> like it throws me off. But the reason I did it is cause like somebody else had, uh, Chris little and people were calling me Christopher all the time. And it was my one way oh. to make sure that people didn't call me Christopher. If I put it in my Instagram <laughs> handle that I was Christian and yeah, it's just like, it's something that I wasn't used to hearing like from age, like. 12 on to age 22 and then from that point forward um lately a lot of people call me christian i'm like sweet that's awesome that's my name yeah and i kind of think like this is a kind of a dumb thing but like remembering like growing up like friends of mine who had like kind of like child there's like the the kid part of your name and then there's like the adult version and it's like you no one ever wanted to use the adult version of your kids but then at some point you're like okay like you know stop calling me timmy like now it's to be timothy <laughs> that's awesome yeah so what's what's your morning routine like like it's it's fairly early in the morning and what have you done so far um so i have uh i've actually adopted um uh my my first practice in the morning i I mean obviously i get up i take my dog out you feed him get my coffee uh but i spend the first hour of every morning um 
doing a writing practice. And uh, it's basically, I love writing, but I I found when I was doing a lot of blogs, I write, you know, professionally, I write for for, uh, publications and magazines um, on the side, uh, in addition to being a nutrition coach. And um, so it it could be a slog sometimes when I would get to it. So um, by adopting it first thing in the morning, uh, I practice it. I can kind of write what I want. I actually usually pick a word or a phrase or um, a client story or something like that. And I just write kind of, uh, I just freeform. I go for it. And uh, when that hour's done, I'm done. I have to just kind of clean it up a little bit. And then I that's my daily posts. Um, currently, all those posts go on Instagram. And they will, again, they will continue. But um, I'm shifting over to a, uh, a website and an email um uh, subscription kind of thing where I'll send those out daily. Uh, actually, Carolyn McDonald has uh, helped me set that up. So we should be launching that soon. It looks, she, she's done a killer job. It looks awesome. That's, that's super exciting. She's really good at helping people with stuff like, Oh man, so good. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I do my writing practice first thing in the morning for an hour. Um, hopefully I finish a little bit early than the next half hour uh, to an hour. I, I study, I do whatever study I'm working on. So um, currently I'm, uh, doing, uh, Ben house's, uh, research wing. So I'll do a little bit of that some days, or I also, um, I, I'm, I, I'm doing a lot of research in psychology right now. So I have like three or four, um, behavior books that I'm working on. So like, I'll kind of do that for half hour and then I launch into my day of, of doing client check-ins, which is the majority of my life. Love it. Um, so you've been working with, uh, Lisa Lewis lately, haven't you? Or I should yeah, say, yeah, so I Lisa. Yeah, I started working with Lisa, uh, I would say probably eight or nine months ago. Um, you know, my career is doing is, is doing better than it ever has. Everything was going great, but there was something I just couldn't put my finger on. And I thought um, I want to I, I've been in an exploratory phase. So so um, definitely the last two years, like uh, guys like Ben House and, and Pat Davidson really um, started help, helping me to question the way I thought. Um, and so I started, uh, you know, spending more time talking with those guys, guys like Dean, you know, a friend of yours, um, who I spent a lot of time talking with. And, um, we just started exploring things a little differently. And, um, I, I had wanted to see, uh, Lisa speak for a while because I knew her and Tony, her husband did a, a seminar together and it never could work out. And so she was speaking at, at the fitness summit where you and I met. And, uh, so I went there kind of expressly to meet her and asked her if she does any kind of mentorship or anything like that. And uh, so we just kind of started doing, you know, I signed up for like a consultation and that's turned into a two to three time a month um, uh, meeting. We, we, every other week, I actually, I'll be working with her again later today. And, um, you know, it, it, it's, uh, um, I don't know what exactly we call it. You know, I guess it would be kind of a mentorship, but it's also um, like uh, uh, career consulting. It, it, I, we talk a lot about how it, my work with my clients um, we talk a lot about my own, uh, goals. So it's this, um, really interesting kind of intersection of, uh, career counseling and, um, and, you know, I would, I would, because it's not technically therapy, it's not, but in a way it is like talk therapy for me as well, because, uh, you know, my, uh, my own, uh, uh, behavioral stuff, my own, um, uh, way I react with clients very much is, uh, uh, speaks to what, to where I am. That's really cool. 
Um, so if you were to describe yourself, just for anybody that doesn't know who you are, in about three sentences, how would you describe yourself? Just what you're about, what you do, and yeah. Oh, man, what am I about? Uh, you know, I'm, I am on a constant quest for a better truth. Uh, whether that be in, uh, you know, fitness, nutrition, whatever. Um, but my uh, search, I think, is through human behavior. Um, and I know that we're consistently kind of trapped in, in shades of um, things that are how, how wrong something is. But if we can get a little bit better each day, I think that's kind of where where I want to live. I like that. So who are three people who have changed your life? Um, you know, I mean, right off the top of the bat, I really have to say Dr. Lisa Lewis. I mean, since I began working with her, um, I've had a, it's, it's had a huge impact, um, on, uh, the way I approach, uh, work, the way I approach life, everything. Um, uh, you know, so, so from a professional aspect, absolutely, she's been huge. Um, obviously, my wife, uh, we've been together for 15 years. She's been with me through, uh, <laughs> she's been through a lot of challenges with me. Um, I, I'm a problem child, that's for sure. Um, but she's, uh, you know, she's, she's taught me uh, so much about myself and, and about, um, about persistence. She's, uh, she's got, uh, she's, she's got a, a dog in this to her. She works her ass off, uh, super talented. Um, and then, um, another professionally, I would say, uh, a guy named Sean Heisen, who is the, uh, editor. Uh, he was the editor at, at men's fitness for years. He's my training partner in uh, New York. And, um, he now is the content director at on it. But, um, when I met him, we started working out together and, and uh, I took the deep dive into, uh, into fitness and nutrition. He kind of just taught me everything, everything I knew and, 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 uh, and, and gave me this, this, uh, this base, this platform for which uh, my entire career has come from really. So if we took a time machine and went back 20 years, where would that take you in your life? What was life like? Um, who are you looking up to then? And what were you doing? Oh, all right. You're getting the juicy stuff now. So I'm, I'm 41 years old. So 20 years ago, I was, I was 21. Um, <clears throat> I was, uh, uh, you know, I had gone to music school in Nashville, came back and I was bartending. I, I came back to, to Baltimore to bartend, save money, uh, to move out to LA. I was going to pursue, uh, music and acting out there. Um, unfortunately I started bartending at, uh, a kind of really popular nightclub and um so i got all the things that i had been searching for in music and acting um outside of the, the creative outlet I, I would i got all the trappings that, that came with that uh you know there's a lot of uh partying a lot of drugs a lot of booze uh lots of girls um and uh yeah so i got you know i basically uh, uh dove right into that and uh, that was a, that was a lifestyle in and of itself. Um, I was, you know, I was about 140 pounds, uh, soaking wet, long hair. Uh, uh, the people I looked up to, I'd probably say I looked up most to, you know, uh, Keith Richards, 
um you know rock and roll lifestyle like that was my thing i always said i could have had a behind the music episode for those of you who are old enough to remember behind the music was this vh1 uh show where they just like talked about rock stars and it was just just about pure debauchery but i loved that like that was that was what i was into um i didn't lift weights and work out like smoke cigarettes uh drank a ton um and it was it was it was fine it was it was good until it was not good anymore and um you know uh they always say like drugs and alcohol works for you until it works against you and uh it was a, it would be a few years where I can, but 20 years ago yeah that's i mean that was that was my life my life was was partying um uh music uh yeah just just uh i i did not hold back i i lived lived to the fullest that's for sure what was the moment where you became the most self-aware of this stuff? Like, you know how sometimes we we don't see what's going on until we, like, take a, a step back and, like, reflect? What, where was your moment where that happened for yourself? Well, you know, for me, unfortunately, it happened pretty early on. My my dad's an alcoholic, and he, uh, he stopped drinking my freshman year of college. Um, and I went to my first detox my freshman year of college. And so I, it, I would end up going to rehabs and jail and uh, detoxes over a period of, you know, 15 more years, 20, almost 20 more years. Um, and uh, so I was very aware of the uh, ramifications of what I was doing. Um, I didn't really care because at that time the, the trade off was worth it to me. Um, finally, the, you know, the, the real the real turning point, because I, had, you know, I'd wanted to drinking or for, for other people there was always a reason you know whether the courts made me do it or whatever um you know i repeatedly tried to quit but the, there was really a time uh it was three years ago where i i wanted desperately to stop drinking um and the problem was when i would stop i would get so physically ill that uh, i was worried i was going to die and uh, for those that aren't really familiar with you know kind of more deep stage alcoholism uh it's alcohol and benzodiazepines are the only two things that will kill you from withdrawal and growing up my mom's a psychologist uh, growing up you know i've been to so many rehabs i knew the dangers of quitting drinking and uh and i was having trouble getting um insurance to cover any detox or anything like that uh but it was one of those things where like that was this huge realization of like wow i really don't want to do this and um alcohol the thing that kind of had had given me you know confidence and and uh and feelings of power and all these things um was and was actively killing me at this point if i took it away it could also kill me and that was this thing where i was like wow i am uh i'm in a very tight spot here and so when i got into the, i finally got into a detox and, and when i did i went in there uh, it came out, um, they, they, I was on a lot of drugs to get through the, the, uh, uh, the detox and felt like a zombie for about a month. I remember cause I was lifting and, you know, I was pretty big into lifting at this point. And I remember I couldn't, I couldn't squat. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't walk around the block without being exhausted and having to come home and sleep for like six hours. So that was this big realization of like, okay, like that's a trap. Um, and, and when you, when you physically know you can't get out of something without uh, medical intervention, you're like, okay, that's that this is a different game now. And uh, now it's, you know, that after that it was easy. Like, I don't even, I don't even think about it anymore. I mean, it's always there. It's always going to be a risk. It's always one of these things like I can't ever drink again. Um, but at the same time, I don't ever want to. Yeah. So 
that was a that's a pretty dark time to to live through and nobody wishes that upon anyone but at the same time like how has it contributed to your career as a nutrition coach like there's got to be ways in which it has made you more versatile or more skilled are there are there things that you can allude to or like pinpoint yeah i mean first of all i don't regret a single moment of my past every single thing that happened to me everything the thing that i made happen to myself uh those things all contributed to who i am right now and i am uh i am thrilled with the person that i am um now there's things that you know hopefully i could have the things the 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 hurt or panic could cause other people is something i wish i I had but uh as far as where it led me i'm i'm happy with the every way everything's gone so uh, with that aside um i was never you know most people in this industry especially in nutrition um were people that lost a significant amount of weight uh people that were you know obese and then lost weight and that's how they connect um i never have I've never had, I was a skinny kid. I struggle to put weight on. I eat like a, you know, a madman to try and, you know, get my weight up again. I was, when I got married, I was 143 pounds. I mean, even at 33, I was maybe, maybe a hundred, I was, I was definitely under 150 and now I'm about 205. So it's like, that's, that was my struggle is to gain weight. Um, but you know, I will tell people, I'll say, you know, I, I don't understand what it's like to be obese. I don't understand what it's like to fight to lose weight. But I can tell you, I do understand what it's like to feel like I don't have control over something. Um, I know what it feels like that, you know, to when I take a drink of something uh, that I know that, that at that point I have, have it completely out of control. Um, it's why I'll argue with people to the end of the day because, you know, people talk about food not being addictive or whatever. Uh, it's a semantic argument. The the complete lack of understanding that people have between the differences between a chemical addiction and a behavioral addiction, um, it just it speaks to kind of the the tone deafness of our industry in a lot of ways. But um, I can tell you the behaviors that accompany drug and alcohol addiction uh, look very similar to the ones that that uh, accompany uh, food um, food behavioral issues. Uh, whether you call it addiction or not, I don't care. Um, to me, it's like, argue, you know, it's fitness pros arguing about, you know, who's got the best six pack, you know, they, they, it's, it's missing the forest of the trees, but that's how I relate. Um, you know, again, if you looked at me, people would assume that my clientele is like bodybuilders or athletes or all, but my, my niche really is, I mean, I would say that my niche is perimenopausal women, um, who deal with emotional eating. I do deal with a lot of work with a lot of men as well. Um. And a lot of them deal with emotional eating and uh, don't really know how to talk about it. But um, women tend to be a little bit more vocal about it. And so therefore, that tends to be who I work with. Um, And for them, I understand. I mean, I I understand that, you know, most of this comes from a place of hurt, a place of of emotion, a place of difficulty, um, societal pressures. And so we can take those things into account. And I can say, you know, I, I haven't been there. Um, I'm not a woman. I've never been overweight, um, but I can give you my experiences in life and and hopefully some of them can can um, coincide with with some of the things you might be feeling so that we can at least at least have some similarities. I like that. As far as communication goes, what is like your best skill and how did you hone that skill when it comes to communicating better or listening better or like speaking what you want to speak more clearly not speaking (laughs) really uh as you can tell i'm a rather loquacious person so uh 
I I have a tendency to lean on my words. Um, I have a tendency to lean on my experience. I have a tendency to lean on um, expertise in a topic. And those things actually don't get you anywhere in helping people. Um, people need to be heard. And if I can shut up for long enough to let them talk, um, if I can shut up for long enough to help them feel that, that there is someone finally listening to them, um, they're going to tell me what I need to know. Um, because I can tell them, I, I'm not going to give them any new information. The information's out there. Uh, it's, it's more that, that letting them feel they're in a safe place to give me the information that can hopefully help them. I like that. So we got a very similar hairstyle, except you used to, <laughs> you used to, uh, do the hairstyling. Like what, what got you into that? And like, what's the story behind it? So I was, uh, you know, again, as a musician, uh, I bartended, uh, I ran some nightclubs, um, and, uh, it, you know, it paid very well, but when I, you know, this, the first time I quit drinking, I was sober for about three years, uh, when I met my wife and, um, it was, just wasn't a real conducive environment. Um, you know, if you've ever gotten to a party where you showed up at the party and everyone's already drunk and you're sober, that was pretty much my life. Cause I didn't drink. I was in bars where everyone was hammered and they were like, you're not having fun. I'm like, no, you're just a drunk idiot right now. Like I will hang out with you tomorrow, but right now you're annoying. And, um, so my wife was also, she, you know, she worked regular nine to five. She had, uh, um, you know, started her career in the jewelry industry. She was a, she was a jewelry artist and then, uh, kind of got on the corporate side of things into sales. And so she was, you know, regular nine to five. I was going to work at, um, you know, six or seven or eight at night and coming home at four in the morning. And, um, so, you know, it was time to find a career change. And, uh, my old roommate for years was a hairdresser. My, uh, wife's sister was a hairdresser. I, I knew a lot of hairstylists. So I, um, thought, you know, this is something that it allow me to still play gigs. Cause it's not an early morning job. Like, you know, I go in at noon. Um, it'll allow me to have some flexibility in my schedule. The money's good. Um, it's creative. And I, I, and the big one is I could wear cool clothes, you know, I go in and, you know, wear like, you know, jeans and boots and a concert tee or whatever. And, um, so I got into that. And, and as I do with everything, I don't go partially into something. I got into it. I got obsessed with it. I started, um, searching out the best hairstylists anywhere and asking them if I could help them in any way. Um, you know, worked my way up to, um, you know, one of the top salons in, in New York at the time. It was a, a salon that was, um, focused on, we did mainly hair, like it was mainly models. So we were pretty much a fashion salon. Uh, you know, so it was supermodels in there. Uh, you know, a lot of famous actors and actresses, uh, would come through. Um, but you know, like Victoria's secret models, uh, swimsuit models. Um, you know, I mean, uh, Derek Jeter's now wife was one of our clients. Um, I used to do her hair all the time. Um, and then I started working on photo shoots, uh, behind the scenes, um, in the fashion world, you know, uh, just craziness. I mean, um, it really, you know, I did, I worked fashion week every year. Um, and so it took off and it was, uh, you know, I, I talk a lot to people about outcome goals and why I don't think they're very important. Um, because within my careers, I've kind of achieved everything I wanted to in this career. I still have a lot of stepping stones, but I started to realize that, um, you know, my, my first goal was to, to work, you know, at, the best salons in like the DC area. And I, I got to work with the best hairdresser I thought there. 
Uh, then it was to to make it to New York and be a hairdresser there, and I did that. Then it was to work with celebrities. I did that. Then it was to be on, you know, my hair was the hair I did was on the cover of every, you know, Vogue, uh, uh, in style, whatever, um, because I had supermodel clients. Uh, you know, I mean, they were in on the um, runways at Marc Jacobs in the, you know, in the spreads and magazines. So I achieved all the things I wanted to, and it never gave me any satisfaction. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, it was a it was it, it was a career that gave me a lot, um, taught me a lot, and um, something that never I never really connected with um, all the way. Even though I wanted to be the best, and, and as I moved my way up the ladder, more and more things started telling me like, I, like you don't want to do this. So, what is it within yourself that tells you whether you want to do something or not? Like, what what kind of uh, self awareness have have you had to have to find your purpose through all these different careers and like life phases that you've had? Well, I think a big thing is I wasn't ever, you know, I think there's this weird thing of like find your passion. So, my passion's always been music or, or acting, whatever, and I don't really know that that finding your passion is, is that important uh, because I don't. I, I think you can find, you know, it's that passion versus purpose thing. And I think you can find purpose in something. Um, and that will be much more important and passion will come. Uh, you know, I joke all the time, but my niche, the, the people I love to work with, what, what my passion is now in the industry is, is working with uh, emotional eaters. It's working with people. There's, there's no way that you could have ever, like that. there's no way that that was going to be my passion. There's no way that like getting into this industry, I was like, I can't wait to get into this to work with, you know, people that deal with emotional eating. No, I wanted to work with like, you know, I wanted to work with jujitsu world champions and, and athletes and like all this stuff. But that I don't actually, that's not, I mean, it's fine. I, I'll work with them, but that's not what I enjoy. I, I love working with people that struggle and, uh, and have a really hard time with things because I feel that's where I can provide the most value in this world. And so that is how I judge now is, um, Am I, am I providing value? Um, am I feeling challenged? Um, do I want to continually pursue being better every day at this um, and not just getting the, um, you know, acclaim or popularity from it? So uh, with hair, it was always like, what can I get on this magazine? How can I get these people to notice me? How can I get my foot in at this magazine? How can I do this? Um, in nutrition, yes, I, I feel that I'm, I'm every day getting a little bit more, um, uh, notice and things, but I don't care about that. It's all that I'm doing is like, why do I spend the, you know, inordinate amount of money I do on education? It's not so that anyone notices it's, it's so that I can maybe be one tenth of a percent better with my clients. Um, and I think that's that's where it comes in. Like I'm passionate about, you know, like again, this this course with Ben House right now, I'm learning how to read studies, right? Um, I don't know if that's going to help me with my clients. It probably will, but it's really hard to to see things from from far out. You you have to just if you if you desire to just put your all into something, um, and you wake up and it's what you want to do, and you go to bed and that's what you're thinking about. Like I don't know. To me, that's that's how I live right now. It's like it's all. I mean, it's probably a little obsessive. <laughs> it might not be the healthiest, but but it's 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 all I care about. Yeah, I, I totally get that. Like I'm a person who uh, kind of dives down the rabbit hole in the same way. And um, with with the content that you put out, 
you were doing a bunch of stuff. I think you had some uh, sous vide videos that you were doing. Yeah. What What's your passion for uh, cooking? Like, where has that stemmed from, and what has given you the skills that you have? Well, I would say my passion for cooking has has definitely waned a lot uh, in the fitness journey, just because. Um, right now especially i just have to eat mass amount of food so like i don't even care about what i'm eating <laughs> but growing up I, i've always been um passionate about food my dad uh you know, my dad was a uh, like a master barbecuer like he actually judges barbecue competitions now my brother's the same way um my mom was always a great cook she's from the south like you know i love food a group again you know being a musician and a bartender i worked in restaurants from the day i was probably i think 14 was my first restaurant job and, uh, you know, I finally left the industry at like maybe 26 or 27. Uh, but I've ever done everything from washing dishes to cooking to, um, you know, my wife and I still to this day, like, like we, we go to great restaurants. I travel for food. I mean, if I go to Paris, like it's, I'm going to a certain restaurant, um, uh, you know, Italy, like was all about just touring for food. Um, you know, we were down in Tulum and, you know, we don't go to bars or anything. It's like I made reservations for like three like world class restaurants in Tulum. Like that's what I want to do. I want to eat. Um, and I think I am able to like appreciate even more now because I do just like most days I'm eating like chicken or ground beef and rice. Um, and so cooking to me is is just I don't know. It's just a part of like I don't I eat out like once a week because I live in New York City. Like you know you're going to, um, but I just to me it's you just cook like that's just how you live life and it's um being good at it makes makes life easier i think uh but the sous vide videos really to me was about simplicity i have a lot of new york clients um i have a lot of clients who don't cook or don't know how to cook and um so you know i bought a sous vide and i'm like this thing's so easy that any like you can't screw it up um and making a good steak in new york city and not like you know sending every fire alarm in the building off like that's a hard thing to do, but with a sous vide, you can cook a perfectly medium rare steak, sear it on a grill pan. And all of a sudden you've got like, it's like barbecue. It's like having a good grill. Um, and so like that, that kind of stuff is, is, uh, invaluable. So I just was doing that for my clients. Plus I was trying to do more like YouTube video because you know, I, I, so where I, I feel like I do a really good job in my work life, trying to build content has always been a struggle for me to find my voice, to try and find what I want to do. And it's not until I started doing this daily exercise every morning that I've kind of figured out how I, I produce content best. Um, and I still want to do videos, you know, like once a month for my site, but just because I think um, it helps people kind of get a grasp of who I am by seeing my face a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of that was just trying to find things to make videos of and, and make people's lives a little easier. Yeah, I totally get that. Um, in the last five years, what's a moment that you felt the most joy? Mm. I, you know, this is going to sound silly, but I, I really find those moments a lot, um, a lot. And, you know, it was, I remember I did a post a couple years ago and I was talking with a good friend of mine. Um, uh, you know, he spent a year in prison and, um, I narrowly avoided a very long-term prison sentence and, and you know, at the jail a few times. And uh, there's days like just being sober and not, you know, and I've done, you know, four months at a time in rehab. So I've been isolated and, you know, taken away from from the normal world. And uh, there was a day I was doing dishes and I just remember um, 
that probably is it. I was doing dishes and I just felt this overwhelming gratitude that I was able to do dishes. Um, and so I don't take anything for granted because if, if that judge had, had ruled a little differently, um, I could be in prison right now. Uh, and I wouldn't even be able to wash dishes. Um, I wouldn't be able to, uh, clean floors. Um, I, the things that people complain about a lot of times I'm like, wow, um, I get to do this today because, you know, if life had gone one little way differently, I might not be able to. Um, so while I feel those things every day, I would say that moment, actually that day, putting those dishes away and having that, that kind of epiphany, uh, was probably the greatest joy, uh, that I've had. That's really cool because like i would never think of my dishes and be like wow i'm so glad i get to do these but like when i see it from your perspective then i understand it's like yeah like that that is a privilege a freedom in which it's such a small task and you get to do it yeah there's i mean there's there's a lot of tenets within buddhism that you know they talk about is is uh work is godliness right and um and people talk about having pride in their work but if you really do think about everything you're doing is, um, you know, it, it's, you know, and I say godliness, not in a religion aspect because I'm not a religious person. Um, but I, I think of it as, uh, kind of that universal godliness of, of, of like really being one with, uh, with everything, you know, everything. Um, and that is like everything we do, if we do it to the best of our ability, it becomes uh, a perfect practice. And I think it's so easy for us to look at some things as menial and some things as important um, and not put as much work into them. But but uh, um, really putting our passion and our, our energies into something as small as doing our dishes um, and, and putting our and, and really just our focus of, of, of true mindfulness of being in that moment, being present. Um, life becomes a, a much richer, much more beautiful uh, uh, process. What's uh, in in your traveling? What is a place that you have gone to where you felt the most like emotional abundance? Well, I live in New York City, the greatest city in the world. So to me, this is like, you know, this is my home. This is my 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 place. You know, so I leave. Um, it's funny because a lot of people can't stand it here. They're like, it's just too busy. Like I feel calm. I feel at home here, and it is a you know, it is just a complete um barrage of insanity all the time but i love it like i live for this place um other than that you know there's um uh rome rome was uh just just always felt overwhelming from the pure history uh to look and to see like something like the uh aqueducts and, and realize the the technological advancements of these places that existed before any kind of modernity that we we think of you know is amazing and then paris which strangely i i thought i would hate paris um and it was one of the i am in love with paris i you know, i've been quite a few times and uh i don't do anything when i go like we go to a museum but like my big thing is like i wake up and i love to go to the little um patisserie and get like a uh pound of chocolate in the morning because you know having a croissant with chocolate chips in it for breakfast is just amazing <laughs> and uh and then just like going through a museum and they're, they're, the, that lifestyle of kind of cafe culture of sitting and really watching the world go by and just being there. Um, it's really special. It's really special. And, and I love that city. And I just love the architecture of it. Uh, 
so you know the and and obviously all those places have a lot of similarities probably like rome new york paris like they're all kind of similar london i loved um but london felt like uh like new york's older more conservative brother um so it was kind of like okay i'll go back to new york that's awesome has there ever been a place that you've traveled to where you felt like completely out of your element or like you didn't know what to do no no i'm a, a pretty uh solid traveler my wife laughs because um i like uh, i mean even in the most dire of situations i mean to, to, uh, uh we were uh we were in puerto rico uh on a week long weekend and got when maria came through and so we ended up getting stranded in puerto rico for a about two weeks um there was no flights out allowed out there was no water no uh electricity no money uh food was getting pretty short and even then i was like we're cool like we're just chilling like this is a thing um as a child i moved around a lot so i never lived anywhere longer than two or three years so for me being out of place is kind of the the norm um so i adapt pretty well so with regards to you and your wife what are three ways that she makes you into a better human being um she's taught me how to accept emotion better she's very emotional um so she'll cry and 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 a big lesson i learned from her is uh a lot of times i always took crying as as this like this really like kind of bad emotion and she'll cry from frustration she'll cry from anger and it taught me a lot about um especially you know more so women's emotions and i think uh especially in my age group women were taught that um the only way that it's acceptable to really express yourself was, was through crying, you know, that women aren't supposed to be angry. And, um, she's a tough, tough, tough chick. So, uh, you know, her anger is also pretty strong. Um, but she's taught me a lot about accepting emotion and being, um, and being okay with it and, and, um, and not shying from it. Uh, when we first started dating, uh, she, we would get into a, an argument and I would start packing my stuff and she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm going to go to my mom's. Obviously you don't want me here. She's like, no, we're having a fight. Like we have to work through this. And so I think she's also taught me conflict resolution a lot because I was always, I would just, a problem presented itself. I would just run away. And so she's forced me to really uh, look at problems. And um, she's, she's just taught me emotional regulation in a lot of ways. Um, again, like, you know, I, I had this running joke, actually, when I was giving a seminar, I was talking about the difference between reasonable and logical mind. And I said, I'm a very logically minded person. Like, I don't buy my wife flowers because why would I buy something that's just going to die? It sounds stupid to me. But she really likes flowers. So I've had to adjust my way of thinking in a lot of things um, to to be a better husband um, and a better partner and a and and th those things so so you know i'd say like emotional regulation um uh conflict resolution and um and and perception being able to to, to really put myself in someone else's shoes i like that especially the part where it's just like hey we're having an argument stay like to actually work yeah. through the different things and like lean into the friendships relationships all that stuff it's hard it sucks you know it's hard to like sit there and really like hash it out when it's easier just to leave and then pretend it never happened. But, um, but you know, in, uh, in all our relationships, but it's also, it's made me a better coach, right? Because that's, we have, we have to lean into these uncomfortable conversations and, and your clients will appreciate you so much more if you can have those uncomfortable conversations in a way that benefits them and in a way that is not, um, uh, vindictive or, uh, uh condescending. 
What's your proudest moment you've ever had as a nutrition coach? I mean, every day. I mean, I really can't say because, like, honestly, when I see these, and it's not about a client. You know, I've had clients that lose a hundred pounds. I'm proud of that. You know, I've had clients that um, that haven't lost a pound, and I'm so proud of them. Um, uh, you know, from from my work, I mean, I'm constantly just, I just, I beam over over working with these people. Um, <clears throat> but honestly, like right now, um, from a professional standpoint, my proudest thing was um, getting, I got chosen to be the rookie presenter at um, Inland Empire Fitness Conference, which is um, Tim Arndt's uh, thing he puts on. And, and uh, um, from a professional standpoint, I, I really, it was really validation that I'm on this this path that is the right thing um, because my my big aspirations are to speak more, to get in front of more people, to help um, other coaches realize that that emotion is not something to be shied away from and that, that we can use to our practice better. And I think this is going to give, help give me a platform to do that. Uh, so I was really proud to, to get that. Yeah, it's super exciting. Um, with regards to the volume of tattoos that you have, like, first of all, how many tattoos do you have? I don't, I've got a bunch, but I mean, I, I mean, the one on my back took uh, almost eighteen months to complete, getting tattooed once a month. Um, so even though that's that's really just one tattoo, it's probably more uh, hours than most people will ever have. <laughs> um, yeah. It was horrifically painful, took forever, and it's probably one of my my. It's it's definitely my proudest uh, um, possession, if you could call it that. Um, and, uh, you know, like some, one of my friends referred to, it's my midlife crisis. Cause it's also probably the most expensive thing I own. So what is the why behind your tattoos? What was your very first one like, and what is the story to them? Uh, my first tattoo was our family badge. So, um, I come from a Scottish line, uh, our, the Johnstons. And if you've ever seen Braveheart, there was a, uh, you know, the guy, Richard, uh, Robert, the Bruce, who, uh, was the, the King of Scotland and, um, he was uh, actually speaking with the, uh, the King of England, and one of my relatives found out that he was about to be assassinated, so rode by his tent through a, a spur with a feather attached to it, which was code to, to flee before you get assassinated. So he did, and then he came back, and he, um, he said to the Johnston clan, he says, is the Johnston clan ready for, for war with England? And my relative uh, re- replied, non quam non paratus, which is not, never not prepared. And um, so we, oh, you know, we come from a long history of... Uh, of assassins and horse thieves um and so we we said and then we went and and, uh and beat back the uh, english and won scottish independence and so he gave us our our family badge which is a a winged spur and and says so that's that was my first tattoo and uh there was actually you know rudimentary versions of this tattoo that was done on the uh the shoulder of my uh my uh ancestors and so that's why i chose that and then after that i just chose cool things that i like were pretty pictures Nice. They, they have like they have zero meaning now. Like I just like them. So the the big one on your back is there any meaning to that, or it just looks cool? No, or... I actually I wanted to get like I was I wanted like uh, either Atlas or um, I was thinking of like Hercules, like wrestling a lion for like my you know passion for jujitsu and, and wrestling, or something. And my uh, tattoo artist is an amazing artist, and uh, he's like, uh, yeah, that that's not gonna look good. I won't do that. He's like, he's like, that's going to age. He's like, he's like, and so he came up with some ideas that were kind of showed strength. And he came with this, um, this, uh, painting from a Kuniyoshi, which is from the, uh, this, uh, book that was written in China, like 3000 years ago. But the, uh, the, the heroes from this, it's like heroes, of the Suikodon, I think it's called, but, um, they basically, this guy was, uh, 
you know, went and was saving this village from uh, the the uh, autocrats and, and broke through this dam, was getting shot with arrows. And uh, it's a beautiful painting and the guy has tattoos all over him. And um, and so he's like, what about this? And I was like, OK. And I, I wasn't even into Japanese tattoos. I was, I'm into more American traditional stuff. But he's a brilliant Japanese tattooer studying Japan and all stuff. So I was like, I mean, mainly I'm coming to get a piece from you. This is my 40th birthday present to myself. Um, and I, you're an artist and if this is an artistic piece you want to do. Like I'm collecting art to me. I'm just collecting art. I'm not really like, so I was like, cool, do it. Um, I thought it was gonna be like one of these things where I'd go two or three times and it would be done. And, uh, yeah, 16 or 18 sessions later, it was finally finished. <laughs> wow. As far as like the, the pain of the tattoo went, did it kind of like, did you associate that with anything that you had emotionally gone through? Like, uh, did it kind of take you back to other things that you'd had to overcome or did it make you more resilient having gone through that process? No, it just sucked. I mean, like the regular pain was fine, but there was, there. I mean, there was such uh, acute pain. Uh, there's, if anyone ever asks, uh, the most painful place in your body to get tattooed, as far as I'm concerned, is in the crease of your butt cheek where it meets your leg um i mean when i say pain there's nothing i could associate with this uh there's no there i mean i don't there's, I, i've i've you know i've been doing jujitsu for a long time i've done striking arts and everything i've been hit in the head i've been knocked unconscious nothing comes close to the excruciating pain of a tattoo needle in the crease of your butt cheek <laughs> it's bad and i'm talking even like the sacrum like i my my butt crack is tattooed does not hurt as bad as that underneath so yeah no i wasn't thinking about anything about except for not passing out and and not asking him to quit because that was the biggest thing is like you just got to do it like the worst thing is is like if i want this done i just have to deal with it there's no way around it you can't skip it there's no hacks there's no you just got to go through this um so i'm sure there is some bigger allegory to like life and all that but basically it's like when you're in that kind of pain you're just like i'm like literally just grabbing the pillow like like trying not to cry yeah well i mean like it's good because you had an honest answer and it kind of like i was go oh, shit like yeah it, he's not bullshitting he is just being straight up with me but at the same time like it's so true with anything that we're doing in our career in our fitness in our nutrition it's just like there is no like shortcut you just gotta do it yeah, and it's gonna suck. Like everything's gonna suck, and that's I think what the problem is 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 we, we we want to tell people that it's gonna be easy and that it's gonna be fine, and that um, we give this idea that somehow like struggling is a bad thing, and, and it, struggle is probably mostly self made. That is true, um, but that's also not a bad thing. We learn better when we struggle through things. We 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 become better by struggling through things. Life is basically struggle. Life is stress. And if we learn to create an adaptation to that stress, we get better. Just like training. If there's no stress, there's no adaptation, there's no betterment. And, and so you know, these things, we have to go through them. We have to go through pain. We have to go through difficulty. And trying to, you know, there's a great uh, Sapolsky quote that I, I use a lot. And I'm going to paraphrase it because I'm not going to get it right. But um, it's, uh, um, the, it's something like the desire to create. Um, uh, or it can be enormously stressful to try and create a stress-free life something like that. But it's like, if you try to remove stress from your life, you're going to end up creating more existential stress more. And it's like, listen, we need that. We need stress. We need difficulty. Like use it. Don't hide from it. And um, I think that's, if there's one thing I've done well in my life, it's I don't like, I don't blame things. I don't get upset. Like, you know, a lot of people, you know, if you look at my life on paper, uh, it, it doesn't really turn out the way it does in real life. Like it turned out pretty well. And that's because I look at all the shit that happened and I'm like, 
cool. Like this is a chance for me to learn. I love that. Um, when it comes to laying out your goals or like setting goals, like do you set goals and how do you set goals and how far in advance do you do it? Uh, you know, I, I set very loose goals. I don't like timed goals. Like, um, you know, there's certain things that, that I'm good, that are good goals, like deadlines. Like, okay, you have this article due because uh, the editor needs it in two weeks. Or um, like I'm doing, again, Ben House's course right now. We, we have weekly projects. Like that's due. Cool. Like that, that those are good things that are just like timelines to keep you on, on pace. But like, you know, if, I'm, I'm not a competitive lifter. I don't do things competitively. So for me now, I don't really set goals as per um like i need to lift this much weight um you know my weight goals like my weight goal is to get to 215 by march but again because i understand process so well i know that i don't truly have any control over that outcome you know i got sick there was a couple things that happened that i'm not going to hit my goal but i'm not going to look at it as a failure i'm gonna be like okay cool like that just means i didn't fine um i don't put a lot of you know quote unquote weight on my goals um they're there for for markers for for yardsticks and we go for them but um you know, like right now I do have a goal for, I've been doing Hatfield squats. Like I haven't been able to squat in probably, you know, years because of low back issues. And I, I found Hatfield squats and they're pretty pain-free. I mean, I can do a decent amount. So the first time I really got into them, I did 400 for, for 12. I was like, okay, cool. Like, so last week I did 422 and got 10. And so my goal now is to get 500 for eight. I don't know. I think I'll definitely get 500 for five, but I don't know about eight, but it's something to push for. If I don't get it, I don't really care. Um, and I think that's the importance. Like I set the goals, but I'm not like, um, hung by like a timeline or whatever it is. And I'm really just doing that because it's fun to lift heavy and I'm going to go to Costa Rica. And when I come back, I'm going to go back to hypertrophy and probably do a bunch of leg presses before I do half field squats. So I'll only probably be able to do like 300, you know, but I don't really care about those things. It's, it's, uh, I'm very process oriented at this point. Yeah. Um, so we went back and we reflected on the version of you from 20 years ago. What would that version of you say if they met you now? <laughs> why, why are you 200 pounds and bald? <laughs> <laughs> and why are you, yeah, I'd probably be like, like, you know, make sure you keep playing music. Like, cause I do, I don't play as much as I'd like to. I have a, a an album I'm working on, but it, it definitely takes the back burner cause my bandwidth is taken up with, with fitness stuff and, and research. And, um, but I, I do think that I would say like, listen, like, I'm glad you've improved yourself. I'm glad you're happy. Um, but, but don't forget about this, this important part of yourself. Yeah. Uh, what, what do you enjoy most about music? Like what, uh, what fills your cup the most when it comes to music? You know, it's just writing. Uh, it, it's my, it's an outlet. Again, I get that outlet in, in other ways too, but, um, it's writing and it's something I've done forever. I've, you know, come from a musical family. So it, it's, it's just what we do. My sister's a, a bass player. My brother's a special forces operator, but he also plays guitar and piano and, uh, played, uh, played tuba, I think in the high school band. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's just a part of me. Um, and I'm not like, I'm a weird musician. I'm not like someone who like lives for music or has to go see shows. Like I listen to things based on what I'm writing. Um, same way I do with like fitness stuff. I, I, re I, I listen to podcasts or read articles based on what I'm working on, not necessarily on, on other things. Like I don't, I don't, I, I'm one of the weird people that like, if you ask me like, what do you do for enjoyment? My enjoyment things are all pretty tied into work stuff. Like I don't, I don't have uh, like extemporaneous activities. Yeah, I'm a pretty similar weird person. It's just like downtime. It's more fitness stuff kind of pouring into like yeah. just learning and like evolving and f 
finding out how I can be a bit more versatile and answering my own internal questions and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, I think that's a good point too, because right, because we can use fitness as a um, as kind of a, a, a metaphor for self awareness or self exploration, and it doesn't have to be this like um, you know just aesthetic, uh, you know, shallow goal that so many people think it is. Yeah. So if you could give one piece of advice on how to live your life to the fullest in the most authentic way, what would that piece of advice be? Uh, engage in talk therapy. Uh, find a way to, to truly um, explore what what you can do best and how you can do it best. Uh, you know that that to me is most important. And I think we can only we can only uh, we can only be so objective with ourselves and that's why finding a good therapist and, and finding a way to engage in, in some type of type of talk therapy um, will uh, will give us the skills to uh, truly uh, self-explore. And who are three people that you just look up to in the world? Just in general? Yeah. Hmm. God, it's, you know, the hard thing is because, you know, it, used to, it would have been easier like, 10 years ago because uh, your heroes are so much less fallible. But the more you get to, the more of them you, you actually meet, you more they're more human. Um, I would say, God. Um, You know, I, I mean, I, I, I look, I think I'm growing to look up to my parents more now um, because I, uh, I appreciate them um, and what they've done and the struggles of being an adult. <laughs> um, I think uh, within the, uh, uh, you know, fitness world, I, I think, um, hmm. I have so many, I'm so many, I have so much friends with all these people. So it's weird. Um, but I really do think, uh, you know, again, Ben house and, and Pat Davidson kind of are the same in that same boat because they both made me question everything I was doing and, and forced, they, you know, not, by nothing they did, but, but their, their, uh, their process forced me to start to examine my own process. Um, and then, you know, my wife, I mean, she just, she is, she just, I mean, she kills it. I mean, she's just like, just in everything she does. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I kind of gave five. <laughs> that's, that's perfect. That's a good answer. I like it. And it's good, good reflection to see so many people from so many different walks of life, actually, like make it simple, break it down and be like, look, like, yeah, my parents, cause like our parents, we need to give them more credit. Like when, when we have that ability to reflect and, have that person in our life that we can like say, yeah, they, they made me who I am. Then that's, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And I think for me, you know, they, they, they definitely, um, you know, I would say, I, I definitely would say I didn't have the best childhood, but I think as you grow older, um, you start to reflect and you realize that, that we're flawed. We're, we're, we're fatally flawed, all of us. And, um, we're all doing the best we can with what we have. Um, and, you know, my, my big thing is the, is, is a takeaway from dialectical behavioral therapy is we're all doing the best we can, but we have to do better. And, uh, that's, that's, you know, my daily, our daily struggle. Yeah. And I think a lot of people can take something from, from that sentiment and that basically summarizes all I have for you today. So I'd like to thank you very much for joining me.
Awesome, man. Thank you. It was a pleasure. If you've made it this far, you may come to the conclusion that I have a little bit of a cough. My voice sounds a little bit off, but hopefully it wasn't too, too bad. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Jeb today. I really enjoyed it, so I hope you did as well. If you want to find out more about him, you can find him on all the social media outlets at Jeb Stewart Johnston. Um, he's a great human being. I just, it really stood out to me that when I went to the Kansas City Fitness Summit, he was someone who really took time to like listen to what I was all about. And he's got a lot more life experience than me. So it was just something that made me feel extra special because he wanted to kind of know, know my story. And he, he was invested in listening to other people, which makes him stand out. So I hope you enjoyed. Share it with a friend. Rate it on iTunes. And have yourself a good day.